The scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. It can be found on page 840 in the Black Bibles. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to him what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Stuart and Ashley. Good morning to you. Um, great to be with you this morning as we look uh, into... One of Jesus' miracles in uh, the Gospel of Mark, as we looked at last week, this one is a little bit different, but there's continuity between these two stories that we'll talk about as we go through. But as we launch into this, let me pray for us and ask God to help us. Lord Jesus, you do have power over all things, and you have power to transform lives. We see it in this passage in Scripture, and we come to you this morning confessing that we need your transformative power. Uh, some of us here who do not trust in you, maybe even for the very first time, and others of us who are struggling with doubt or discouragement or simply need to be encouraged by you or to hear your truth. Um, some of us whose lives have grown too comfortable and need to be disrupted in a, uh, in a wonderful and beautiful way by you, Lord Christ. So we pray that you would meet with us in this time and do your work in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
the band had just finished playing one song, and the drummer, as drummers do, was you know had his sticks and he was tapping in the beat of the next song, and that was when it happened. It was Saturday night in late December. Perfect weather for a party on the beach with a band in Indonesia. Videos show that partygoers had been crowded by that stage. They were dancing. They were enjoying the music. They were having a great time. And then it happened. A gigantic wave swept up on the beach. And when it swept on the beach, it actually crashed the entire stage down that the uh, band was on. And just as soon as it had come up on the beach, it swept back out and swept a lot of people and a lot of things into the sea. It was December the 22nd of 2018, and Indonesia had just been hit with yet another devastating tsunami. This time, over 280 people were confirmed killed. Thousands more were injured. A hundred were unaccounted for, presumed dead. And this raises a question. How does this happen? How does a tsunami come seemingly out of completely nowhere and crash into a beach on which people are having a gigantic party. Shouldn't there be some kind of a warning for something like that? And in fact, there are a couple of ways in Indonesia that you can get warming, warnings for a tsunami. One is that you hear or feel the earthquake. If you're in Indonesia and you feel an earthquake and you live close to the ocean, that is a signal that you need to leave and go to higher ground. But there are also buoys that are placed out, far out into the ocean. And the idea is that if a wave passes under those buoys and it lifts them up to a certain extent, it triggers an alarm that rings or sounds on the beach. And if you hear that alarm, you need to get to higher ground. In this case, neither of those things happened. This tsunami was triggered by a volcanic explosion that was neither seen nor heard nor felt. And the alarm didn't sound because the alarm system was broken. The buoys were there, but the wave passed underneath them. And when the wave passed underneath them, nothing happened because they didn't work. And they hadn't been working since 2012, according to government officials. So this wave, this devastating tragic wave passed underneath that alarm system and just kept going carving its silent path of destruction all the way to the beach. It's a great tragedy when a death or deaths, multiple deaths that could have been prevented by a simple warning is not prevented. It's also tragic, it's actually eternally tragic when those who could have heard the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, never hear it because the message doesn't come to them. You know, those who experience firsthand the transformative, saving power of Jesus Christ are called, in fact, privileged to be the ones who go out and proclaim it, to bear witness through their lives and through their words that Jesus Christ has power to save, power to change everything. There is both the power of God to save and there is bearing witness to the power of God to save. This story in Mark chapter 5 points to both of those things. 
The first thing we see here in this story in Mark chapter 5 is the saving power of God. The saving power of God. Now, if you were here last Sunday or you heard the sermon from last Sunday, we left off in the middle of the night, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus and his disciples were traveling in a boat and they had been buffeted by a massive storm. Wind howling, waves crashing over the sea. But at the end of the story, all of that had stopped and immediately everything became still and everything became perfectly calm. And the disciples who were scared at the beginning of the story because they thought they were going to die were even more scared at the end of the story because something that they could not explain had just happened. And they looked at each other and they exclaimed, Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, of course, they survived that storm and they kept on going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which if you're thinking about this in your brain, is the east bank of that lake is Gentile territory. This is not where the Jewish people live. You could probably piece that together by the presence of a 2,000 head herd of pigs on that side of the, of the lake because that would be unclean to the Jewish people. They wouldn't be herding pigs over there. Now, it is likely that Jesus' reason for crossing the Red Sea in the first place, the Red Sea, it's not the Red Sea. That was in Exodus. The Sea of Galilee. Okay, a different crossing, different results, okay? The Sea of Galilee. It's likely that Jesus' reason for crossing the Sea of Galilee in the first place was to get a little bit of R&R. He needed some downtime. He needed a rest. He was exhausted. We know that he was exhausted because he was asleep in the boat in the middle of that gigantic storm. He needed to pray. He needed to spend some time with his disciples, and so he was trying to get away from the crowds. But rest and relaxation and recharging were not in the cards for him. The text says that immediately, immediately when he stepped off of this boat, he was met by a man who was possessed by demons who had been living among the tombs near the bank of the sea, and he met him as he got off the boat. Now we need to stop here for just a second and ask ourselves the question, what? what's this whole thing about a man possessed by a legion of demons? Like, could that really happen? Because if you read some modern commentaries on this passage, what they would say is that they're making an assumption, a lot of people these days, that this man was actually struggling with acute mental illness. And he was kind of a cast out of his family, out of his society, because in the first century, people didn't have a category for mental illness like we would have a category for it now. And they, because they were more religiously motivated than we are now, they would attribute that to um, something religious, maybe like demon possession. So they didn't know any better, and so that's what they attributed his behavior to. The problem with this interpretation is that it completely invalidates the entire story, uh, the entire narrative point of what Mark is trying to teach us. In fact, also Matthew and Luke, who also write about this story in their Gospels. And so if you read a passage like this and you're skeptical about what it's actually claiming to say, um, that's okay. I'd encourage you to hang in there with me as we kind of go through this and just remember that the skepticism on this happening and the non-skepticism on this happening both rest on a particular 
unprovable presupposition. The skeptic would conclude that this must be a case of something else, like mental illness, based upon a presupposition. That presupposition is that unseen evil forces don't exist, and they don't possess people. That there's no such thing as demonic possession. We can conclude that, or people do conclude that, because they've never seen demonic possession, or they've never experienced demonic possession, or they've never known anybody that's experienced demonic possession possession and it can't be proven or demonstrated without some level of doubt so the conclusion is that it doesn't exist and therefore this must be talking about something else now the truth is that I'm also going to make a presupposition mine is this that in the story that we talked about last week with Jesus immediately calming the wind and the waves that he can do that Because he is the God who created the wind and the waves. That he is the God who created the heavens and the earth. So that he's free to work either within the natural laws that he created or outside of the natural laws that he created depending on what he chooses to do. So that miracle is totally reasonable. I also believe that unseen spiritual forces that are intent upon doing harm to the purposes of God and to the people of God do exist. That they existed in the first century and they exist now and that there's nothing then about this narrative in the way that Mark articulates it that rings untrue I can't prove that but neither can the skeptic prove the opposite to me it is most reasonable to trust the eyewitness accounts 12 disciples The man who himself had been demon-possessed, who went around the entire region of the Decapolis talking about this. Uh, An entire town and countryside who came to see what was going on and who got this firsthand, all bearing witness to the veracity, to the truth of this account. There are too many eyewitnesses, I believe, to conclude that this narrative is false based simply upon a belief that this sort of thing could not happen. So we're going to proceed based upon what Mark tells us in this text. That this man was possessed by demons. And that this is exactly what highlights the great power, the great saving power of Jesus. So Mark tells us that Jesus recognized this demon possession immediately. As soon as he got off the boat, Jesus was commanding these unclean spirit to come out of this man and the demon, or more accurately the demons, because he pronounces himself legion, saying we are many, through the instrument of this man speaks. Now don't miss this. There's continuity between the miracle that Jesus performed on the Sea of Galilee and this miracle in this story. Because the last time a question was asked about Jesus, it was asked by his disciples who should have known better. They should have actually known the answer. They said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? That was their question. But here, a demon answers the question. With another question. But strangely enough, the demon is the one who actually answers the question. In verse 7. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? This demon knew exactly who he was dealing with. He knew exactly who he was dealing with. The Son of the Most High God. And in the end, Jesus proved his power yet again. So last week we saw over the powers of nature on the Sea of Galilee and now over the powers of evil in demonic form. 
and he sent this legion of demons into a herd of unclean animals who ran down the steep bank of the hillside and drowned in the sea. Now, the keepers of the pigs saw what had happened and it totally freaked them out, understandably. And they ran away and they went to the cities and the towns and the countryside and they began to tell people what they had seen and the people were like, no way! And so they came to check it out. And when they came to check it out, they saw this. And it's a beautiful picture. I love this image because the text tells us that they saw the man who had previously been possessed by these demons sitting in his right, fully clothed and in his right mind. This man, this man who had spent so much of his life away from his family, so much of his life away from his friends, living among the tombs, the text tells us, cutting himself with sharp stones. This man, he had, maybe he had gone down to the lake and maybe he had washed and put on some new garments, but this man was sitting fully clothed and in his right mind. And you know what's crazy about this? What's so interesting about this is we see it again. We see it again. After Jesus calmed the storm, the text tells us the disciples feared a great fear. They were very afraid. And now this man who had been cleansed of this demon possession, the people of the town come. And what does it say? They were afraid. They were afraid. They should have been rejoicing look what happened this is awesome but you know what happened is that their sense of what they'd be comfortable with with respect to what was normal and what they could deal with because they'd been able to deal with this man this demon-possessed man living among the tombs doing what he does that was the way they understood life and now when it was different all that had been disrupted they were afraid and instead of saying Thank you, Jesus. That's amazing. What a beautiful thing you did. It says they begged him to depart from them. They begged him to depart from them. Now, one of the great themes of the gospel, and if you miss everything else in this whole sermon series, uh, don't miss this because if you miss this, you're going to miss the entire thing. One of the great things in the gospel of Mark is that Jesus is a totally disruptive force. He is a totally disruptive force. Jesus is not a supplement to your life. It's not like you went to the doctor and the doctor took your blood and the doctor says you're down a little bit of vitamin D. If you take, you know, 2,000 milligrams, you know, it'll get you back up. You need a little supplement in your vitamin D. A lot of people think that Jesus is that. You're down a little religiousness in your life. Take a little Jesus and you'll be okay. He's not that. He's a disruptive force. I was meeting this past week with one of our elders and he told me a story that he had heard in a sermon by Tim Keller one time when he was visiting New York. Tim Keller used to be the pastor of Redeemer in New York City. Keller said that he was meeting one time with a young man uh, who was a smart, really successful guy. Uh, he was an investment banker. He'd been in the investment bank. He was still young and single, but he'd been in investment banking long enough to begin to accumulate uh, you know, some of the trappings of that lifestyle. So now he'd been there long enough. So bigger apartment, you know, nicer suits, uh, you know, nicer vacations, those kinds of things. And as he and Keller were talking, 
this young man volunteered without any prompting whatsoever all kinds of information about his sexual activity, his sexual life, how hard it was in New York, you know, for a young guy like him not to fall into that lifestyle of promiscuity, how he failed on that count on many occasions, how he used to feel guilty about it, but now he didn't really feel guilty about it anymore because it's just the way that it was. All of his friends were like that, and, you know, it's the only way to kind of, you know, survive the pressures of life as a young investment banker living in Manhattan and Tim Keller started asking some probing questions because, you know, when people start telling you about their behavior, it's not only about their behavior, it's really about what's going on inside of their heart. And so he's asking some heart questions. And one of the questions that Tim Keller asked was this, tell me how you spend your money. Tell me how you spend your money. And when Tim Keller asked this question, he said, this young guy sat back in his chair and his eyes got wide, and he looked shocked and surprised. And then he leaned over the table. They were having coffee together. He leaned over the table and said, that's a kind of personal question, isn't it? I mean, that's really none of your business. And Tim Keller said, dude, you've just been 30 minutes telling me about your sex life, and you're telling me that that's a personal question to you? But do you see what happened? What happened was that this man was comfortable with this other conversation because he was going to take it in the own direction. But when Keller poked him in a place that really stung him, that was really uncomfortable for him, that really disrupted him, he basically did what these townspeople said, did and said, Whoa, too disruptive, Jesus. Please go away. That's too disruptive. Please go away. Where is Jesus prodding you right now with his Holy Spirit? Maybe it is in that question of sexuality. Maybe he is calling you to holiness in that area. And maybe that's just too difficult for you. And maybe you are basically saying, that's really too disruptive, Jesus. Please go away. Maybe it is in that question of financial resources, how you make and steward and spend your money. Maybe the uncertainty in the oil and gas market right now has you pretty afraid and you're holding tight. You're trying to accumulate. You're trying to protect so you're not making generous investments in the kingdom of God. And maybe Jesus is prodding you there and you're saying, whoa, too disruptive, Jesus. Please go away. Maybe Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart and he is prodding you to actually get into relationship with people that are different than you, people that believe different things than you believe, people that live different than, than you live. And in your life, you know that it's pretty much a lot easier not to do that, to kind of keep them out there and to just sort of dislike them from a distance. And Jesus may be saying, well, why don't you get to know what they're about? Why don't you ask them some questions? Why don't you become friends with them? Why don't you serve them? Why don't you invite them over to your house and have them eat a meal with you? That's too hard. Whoa, Jesus. Too disruptive. Please go away. Sometimes when we encounter the power of Jesus, the disruptive power of Jesus, we just really want him to go away because we really, above all things, want to be comfortable. But sometimes not. Sometimes the power of God is so transformative that it changes the trajectories of our lives. And when that happens, we're privileged to bear witness to the saving power of God. So here's a Bible trivia question for you, okay? Who was the first 
missionary to the Gentiles. Who was the first missionary to the Gentiles? Was it Jesus himself or the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and the disciples, the apostles of Jesus spoke the gospel in the languages of all of the world who were gathered there in Jerusalem? Is that the first time that the Gentiles heard the gospel of Jesus? Or was it the apostle Peter when he shared a meal with the Roman centurion Cornelius and told him about Jesus? Was it the Apostle Paul who took all of those missionary journeys all over the known world to all of the non-Jewish places preaching about the good news of salvation in Christ? Who was it? Well, at least as it is told to us in the Gospel of Mark, do you know who it is? It's this guy. It's this formerly demon-possessed man. Because the text tells us that when Jesus transformed his life, understandably, he wanted to go with Jesus. Thank you, I want to be with you. And Jesus said no. And he told him, go back to your town and tell your friends the mercy that the Lord has had on you. And so he went back to his towns and he told his friends the mercy that Jesus had on him. But then do you know what he did? He didn't stop there, he kept going. The text tells us he went into the Decapolis... And began proclaiming to all the people what Jesus had done for him. Now the Decapolis is not one city. It's a large region that sits on the eastern side of the uh, Jordan River. It, it, it's, a, it's a region of ten cities. Which is why it's called Decapolis. It's the, that's the reason for its name. It's a big region. And he went all throughout there simply proclaiming what the Lord had done in his life. And this is what it means to bear witness to the work of God in your life. To give testimony to the Lord's saving work in your life. And do you know what's really beautiful about this? This guy did not know anything, probably. I don't know, I don't know his exposure to the Old Testament. I don't know anything about this guy's Bible knowledge, right? So this man who's going throughout the Decapolis talking about Jesus, this is not apologetic in nature. This is not a guy that went to worldview school and, and, and encountered all of the defeater arguments and learned how to deal with all of the defeater arguments. You know, This is a guy who's simply going, I used to be demon-possessed and guess what? I'm not. And you know why? Because of Jesus. He, didn't, he needed no preparation for this whatsoever. He simply has a story to tell of the saving work of Jesus Christ in his life. That is what it means to give testimony to the work of God in your life. And you know what else? Any person in this room who is a believer in Jesus right now can do that. If you can talk, you might be six. You might be younger than six. And you can still do that. Or you might be older than six. Maybe way older than six. And you can still do that. So here's my encouragement for you this week. This is about to get really practical. And perhaps a bit meddlesome in your life. So what I would encourage you to do this week is to sit down and pray. And then after you pray, meditate and think about this question. What has the Lord done for me? How, how has Jesus transformed my life? How has the Lord shown me mercy? In other words, what is your story of salvation and transformation? 
how has Jesus saved you and transformed your life? And then write it down. And if you don't write it down in narrative form, at least outline it. Write it down, outline it, read through it several times. And then here's the meddlesome part. Commit to telling this story to one person during the month of February. This is a super gracious request because this is a leap year. You get one extra day to do that in February this year as opposed to last year. Commit to telling the story to one person in the next month. It could be a family member, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, it could be a friend. I would suggest that somebody that you have at least at this point depth of relationship enough to where you can say, you know, we've known each other for a long time. There's something really important about what makes me me, you know, what makes me tick. And I've never shared it with you. And I want to tell it to you now. And then tell the story of how God has been merciful to you. And here's the other beautiful thing about this. It doesn't have to be dramatic. Did you know that even before I had children, but ever since I've had children, almost on a daily basis, do you know what I've prayed for? I have prayed that my children's testimony would not be dramatic. That's been my prayer. My prayer for them has been that they never know a day in their lives that they do not know and worship Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we're not talking about the depth of drama of your testimony, just the fact of it. You know, um, my, because my children, all three of them, still have stories. They have stories of having real questions about what the Bible teaches and doubts and finding answers to that doubt largely through people that are not their mom and dad, other people like you who have been involved in their lives. They have those stories. They have stories about going through really difficult times in their lives and God helping them through it. They have stories about making a transition from kind of the Holland family faith, which I give thanks to God for that it exists, to owning that faith for themselves. They have their stories. Every believer in Jesus has a story of mercy and grace. And you just never know how somebody, how the Lord might use that story to be the seed of the gospel that takes root in a transformative way in somebody else's life. This is exactly what happened to me. I gave my life to Christ uh, when I was 14 years old and in ninth grade on a ski trip in Colorado. I had gone on a ski trip with a, a church youth group, not my church, and I went on the. This is the this is the absolute truth. I had like, and, and I had no spiritual yearnings that I knew of at this moment. I had two yearnings that I knew of. One was to be with my friends, and one was there were a bunch of cute girls. That that's why I went on this trip. Those two reasons. Period. But there was a speaker on this trip, and one night he talked about how when he was in high school. He lived for the approval of others. He was an athlete, and he lived for making the, 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 the game-winning touchdown as a receiver in high school. He lived to be popular and to have a lot of friends. He, he lived to be liked by the girls. But somewhere deep inside, whenever one of those things happened, he realized that it wasn't as fulfilling as he thought it would be. When he did make the game-winning touchdown, it was awesome for an hour. And then it was like, my life is no different than it was 
you know, before that happened. Or he realized that he was riding the wave of his, all of his life being based on his performance. He either makes the catch or he doesn't make the catch, right? I'm a hero or I'm not. I'm worth something or I'm worth nothing. And we're all dependent on circumstances. And somebody else came and said, you know what? You have no rock. Your life is a shifting sand. Let me share with you about the rock of your salvation, the rock of my salvation, told him about Jesus. And he told this story to a bunch of high school kids who were really there only to be with their friends and to ski, you know, and those kinds of things. But in the moment that he told that story, in my mind, not out loud, but in the moment he told that story, I said in prayer to God, God, I need that same rock. My life is exactly the same way. I'm living for all those things. It is, it is making no sense to me. And, and I, know that, I, know that this is not, I know that this is not all that there is. And so, Jesus, will you be the rock of my salvation? That's what happened. And I found out later, because I talked to this guy about five years after this, and he told me, because uh, I told him this story, and he laughed because he said, you know, I've been a pastor for like 15 years at the time. And he said, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt from my perspective that those were the worst talks I had ever given in any context that I can ever remember. He had the flu before he came, and being at 10,000 feet was not helping him, you know, feel any better. And he said, I couldn't think. I couldn't put a coherent sentence together, you know. But, but he gave this testimony of God's mercy in his life. And simply by telling it, the Lord used it to change the entire trajectory of at least one person's life. That would be me. And I suspect even more. You see, God is powerful to change everything. God is powerful to transform lives. And when he does that, we are privileged simply to bear witness to the transformative power of Jesus among those around us. And you never, ever know what God will do through that let's pray Lord Jesus thank you for your power thank you for the fact that you transform and change absolutely everyone for those who are here this morning and have not yet received you I pray that today just like I was as a punky 14 year old kid sitting in that room by the prodding of your Holy Spirit just knowing that I needed you I pray that there would be those today who put their faith and their trust in you. And for the rest of us who have put our trust in you, I pray that we would be so enamored, maybe re-enamored by your grace and your mercy that we would see it a privilege simply to go around this metropolis and to tell how you've been merciful in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.